Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. One of the hot topics of 2022 is all about making client experiences count and the role of marketing in really bringing the organization together behind key customers. So I'm thrilled to be joined by James Cardu, leading marketing and client experience across Europe and Asia for Capital Group. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, James. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Really great to, to, to finally get you on. I, I know you're, you're a man in demand, so good, good to have you with us. It'd be fantastic, James, if you could kick us off with a, a bit about you. You've, you've had a, a very interesting background working you know, across B2C, B2B, you know, and right, right at the tier, tier one end of, of key accounts as well. And it'd be good just to understand and frame your, your current mandate at Capital Group. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I guess I've been quite lucky. I've probably got about 20, well, I say 25, it's probably like 26 or 27, but I don't <laughs> too much. But I, I guess in, in financial services in a couple of places, initially I started out, actually I, was, I worked in insurance and also then went into a sort of data and analytics role. I guess my background was quite data oriented and my qualification was quite data oriented. Made the hop across in an asset manager to do marketing, which I absolutely loved from the first moment. And then subsequently I've worked for yeah, a series of, of UK and US asset managers. I have also had some experience um, helping to launch a wealth management business as well. And um, and I guess being very lucky that throughout that time, there's been quite a, amount, a fair amount of sort of secular change in how marketing is is uh, goes about its its tasks. And I guess that's why we're here today to talk a little bit about sort of the next phase of things. And I, and I guess also I've been very lucky to sort of work in a cross-border environment. And so that means I've, I've dealt with colleagues and clients from all around the world, which I th- think gives you a very rich sort of tapestry in which to deploy your marketing skills. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that diversity definitely brings new ideas, fresh thinking. And James, talk about uh, Capital Group, the firm itself. It'd be great just to, to give a, a quick intro and, and the role in particular that uh, key client relationships play in, in your growth. Sure. So um, Capital Group, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating company. It's been around for about 90 years. It's got a very um, very thoughtful way about it, how, how it runs money on clients' behalf. Um, it's, its heritage, I guess, is in, is in sort of advised fund sales. So effectively working through financial advisors and networks of, of wealth managers to, to put clients first, I guess. And, and we have a, a goal of, of improving people's lives through successful investing. I think the firm's got a really, really strong claim to to how, how well it's done that over many, many years. I guess it's, um, if you're sort of in asset management, it's one of those, it's kind of one of the great financial services brands, but uh, it's never quite sort of got the got the mixture right to be the sort of scale it should be outside of the US. So everyone outside of the US knows who Capital Group is and, and is envious of their success, but we're not, we've not really been a mega competitor outside of the US. So my, my role as part of a, a small management team is to fix that wrong, if you like, and um, and to bring some of Capital's products to a wider audience around the world. So we operate with with reasonable scale in, in 10 markets outside of the US and, and in sort of six of those markets we're operating in both institutional and sort of advised retail channels. The business has some fabulous product, but we're launching more things and we're doing more more stuff to make ourselves more, more locally relevant. And part of my job is just to help bring that sort of whole th- piece to market and help build the capital group identity outside of America. 
Fantastic. And just thinking about that growth outside of North America, looking at Europe and Asia, where do key accounts play? Where are your key clients? How do they factor in? Yeah, it's super important. It's super important. The reality is that in most markets, say at a local level or a regional level or even global level, Air, you know, it's a highly regulated industry and everyone knows who all the players are. The data is fabulous about where the, where the money is going and the products <laughs> are going. So yeah. you know, there's no secret client out there that no one's discovered, right? You know, these guys are crawled all over by, by every single company. And, and the, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a high-end professional selling. In many cases in Europe and Asia, I think in the US, there's, a, there's still a big bulk of sort of um, – mass advice clients but in most of europe and asia it's it's very heavily centralized the buying process with companies that everyone can identify and individuals everyone can identify so you can't get away with a a, a vanilla approach and you, you can't get away without some pretty smart segmentation approaches and as, as we kind of evolve you know individual account based approaches is, is sort of where all the future for these guys are um i think the other thing is the regulatory environment has driven a lot of this so in reality, the companies that put together the best and most robust fund selection processes with the best quality resources and using the technology and in their due diligence and all the rest of it, those guys will tend to be the bigger firms. Even in a market like the UK, though, you know, you're probably looking at 35,000 financial advisors who are probably using in the main an outsource arrangement with maybe up to 650 wealth management firms or research agencies and in those firms you know you're talking about a couple of thousand individuals so in that in that context a country like the UK with 65 million people in it huge amount of people in pensions investments and personal investments there's probably a core of 2,000 people who are wielding uh, much of that much of those revenues much of that those assets so you've got to take a, a precise bespoke approach And just thinking about this this precision, you talked a little bit about your data analytics background and, and clearly you're operating in, in a highly regulated environment. How are you thinking about the role of marketing? Because you have to factor in you know, regulation and, and you, you talked a little bit about um, this kind of market of one and the, the precision that you're putting behind some of your programs. Yeah, I, so I think you know, the, the reality is that we're, we're, what we're trying to do, I think, is partner incredibly effectively with, with the sales group, look at how we can utilize technology to create experiences that are more you know client preference driven for instance which we don't want to we don't want to carpet bomb clients with messages when they're not relevant and, and train them to not open our stuff which i think is a bit of a thing <laughs> that the industry is guilty of and certainly i've probably been guilty of in, in past lives um, and then on top of that we're trying to identify those those accounts where a really precise partnership approach with those accounts will open up a better quality experience for both for both them and us and also hopefully you know a, a better sales experience for us so i think it, it kind of works on three le- on three levels i think the other role of marketing which is is probably this is probably we're probably about eight to ten years into this is the sort of digitization of so many elements of the, the marketing service mix whereas historically you know when i started out there'd be a bunch of guys in luxembourg maybe doing fact sheets and they operated wholly separately from a bunch of guys in london who were doing the prospectus and there's a bunch of marketing activity happening here out of the, the marketing team and then the sales team are doing their thing over there all of this stuff is all easily discoverable now and it all needs to kind of feel like it's coming from one entity that's joined up and how it thinks about you as a client and therefore i think marketing is just probably the best place part of the organization to try and orchestrate that that mix and try and make sure that you know the clients receive 
a core number of strong messages that are relevant to them. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the, the, the heartbeat. And I think that, that you touched on a really interesting point. We've been talking quite a lot about channel conflict recently, particularly in this hybrid sales and marketing environment. And as you've just touched on there, you've got so many people, you know, be it marketing, shadow marketing, anyone that's facing in, into the market, they're all creating content, they're creating their own messages and, and they're having various client interactions. How are you thinking about channels? How are you thinking about that in, in your go-to-market for, for strategic clients? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really good point. I think, I think, you know, I think we've got a pretty robust channel matrix. And I guess as a, as a international player, you've got a, a country matrix too, right? You, you know that thematically certain things are, are interest and other things aren't. I'm not actually a believer that, say, institutional client segments all like receiving long form white papers and that's how they engage <laughs> their information and the drier the better you know and it's yeah. reassuringly robust and dull i just don't think that's the case right um, and and no more so than a financial advisor just wants to read something short and sweet and salesy i just don't think that's the case anymore i think this this you know the, the digital revolution and smartphones and all the other ac- access points to information and insight mean that you know individuals choose their route to the information and you need to be responsive to that route so historically firms like ours might well have written a long dry white paper about a market topic and send that to uh, to institutions where they think it might land well these days actually and that would be it these days actually you'll think about that splice that into different types of content in different formats and different styles and play that out across your 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 owned media and your own media and the client will choose whether that's the kind of thing they do and i think often it's it's actually you know what you've, you've whetted my appetite there you that's probably pretty interesting i'll invest some time now that i've got an idea of where you're going into reading the longer form piece and that's great but what you can't do is be really great at doing funky intro stuff that makes people quite curious and then hit them with something that just doesn't have the robustness or the, or the intellectual thought behind it that that time they've invested wasn't well spent. So I, th- I think that's that's the sort of big challenge for marketing these days. I think, you know, when I first started out, an awful lot of what marketing did, even in institutional channels, and even when selling quite complex products like hedge funds, was, was simplification of technical content to make it absorbable by non-fund managers and it was pretty much the same job everywhere and trying to nuance that down to a small number of key selling points i'm not sure that's quite the game anymore and i think that in reality we're often trying to assist technical subject matter experts in 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 our investment group and our product groups in having a technical conversation with a a very very technical uh, fund researcher fund selector chief investment officer and therefore actually the job isn't to dumb it all down the job the job is to actually get that tone that content right across a whole mix of stuff for each individual channel so it's a it's a real it's a real challenge and then doing that internationally think you really struck a chord there with me James uh, as you talked about different channels and and how you're segmenting audiences and thinking about different types of content that's, that's likely to resonate and I know there's a lot of talk around well you're marketing to humans and therefore you know make, make your marketing more human but actually the takeaway from the comment you've just made for me is that it's all about the experience that actually start with the client experience and and connect these things together don't don't just think you're marketing to a cohort of institutions or mid-market funds um, and and communicate in a particular style but really start with that uh, the overall experience itself and in many ways that will dictate 
what you end up taking out to market. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. I mean, there is this horrible phrase isn't it, that's come out in the last few years about B to H, business to human. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a nasty articulation, I think, of what we're trying to achieve here. <laughs> but it, there, there's, there is a truth in it, is that you've got to find ways to let the client choose. And and if, if your on-site experience is, is a bit crummy or if your um, you know, mm-hmm. journeys you know, are just too long, or if, or if you know your headlining approach when you when you try and flag the content that you put in front of people just doesn't work or doesn't make sense or is or is frankly you know too salesy it's just not going to work people yeah. don't want to be sold to anyone yeah and i think a big part of you know the work that you've been doing and your team have been doing around strategic clients and part of that is resonating because you're taking some of that friction out of the experience you're you're already doing the homework you're doing the heavy lifting to to figure out what what the preferences are and then making sure you're communicating in more meaningful ways uh, rather than bombarding yeah that's that's 100% right i mean i think the um, I heard another analogy from a friend actually a couple of years ago, but about how do you, how you think about using data and, and digital in these in these very high end, very precise relationships you've got to run. And there's two things that you know really struck home from what he said. One of which is you know we're not aiming for robotics here, we're aiming yeah. for bionics, right? We're aiming to empower and enhance a what is a a a, a human relationship between you know our, our our management group and our sales folk and our investors, and and the and the same equivalent folk on the other side in in the client group so we're, we're making sure that we don't misstep we're, we're trying to make sure that outside of the face-to-face engagements we are engaging those clients with the kind of the right kind of thing at the right time that is going to enhance the relationship not not turn them off the relationship by trying to oversell or over over communicate so it's, it's a really delicate delicate line and uh, but it's really important really important to get that yeah very interesting articulation you you talked earlier James about you know tech experiences and some of the things that you're driving into uh, clients that that, that that's very much driven by their preferences talk talk to me about martech and these relationships can can the two coexist I think it's absolutely critical they do actually I mean uh, when I when I started out sounding like old father time here but when I started (laughs) but when I started out you know I was always told you get to a senior level in the in marketing within the organization and the critical relationship you will have have is with the CFO because you're probably outside of staff you're going to be the second or third largest um, you know budget item and I guess that was also driven by the fact that we were trying to take you know again a caveat a lot of this still works in the volume and scale of the US but in the market smaller markets of, of Europe certainly it, it, it's it's harder to sort of advertise and promote your way into ascendancy although it definitely definitely can have a part to play in Asia and in campaigns so therefore you needed the ability to the ability to have a great relationship with the CFO so he would support whatever you asked for at, at year end I, I think the killer relationship is with your CTO these days it, it's easily with a CTO I, I don't think you know a, a modern contemporary marketing function can operate without a fantastic digital platform strategy and I guess the other thing is you know if you think about this this sort of idea of of distribution of, of, of high-end content or even you know not necessarily high-end content but specific content specific individuals using data and analytics looping that back into your web experience looping that back into your sales force or whoever you happen to use on your client experience technology platform and then you think about all the other associated bits of kit that sit within these platforms like I don't know a or a Pardot or anything like that or increasingly you know, use Einstein to try and do some some AI processing around how we how we go to market that's an incredibly complicated thing to, to knit together. And it's long term. You know, marketing groups are pretty much used to saying that the thing that's long term is our brand guidelines and our positioning. But actually, within that, we, we, we can be very agile at a campaign level. 
that's all great. But actually, marketing teams now need to get their head around the grown-up stuff, which is what exactly is the next piece of kit I need and how am I going to judge what is a good workflow tool, for instance? Or how am I going to judge what is a great CMS? And how is that going to interact with the other things that I have embedded within the business? So I think I think that whole piece has dynamically changed and completely changed the, the role of, of a CMO in any organisation. And it, in many ways, it goes back to our earlier point that actually, if, if marketing have access to to the data, so rather than starting with a the, the tech as a you know this is just a way for us to bombard customers with with more more of the same or higher volumes of the same, actually really thinking about some of the the data and insights you're throwing off, you know, for example, first party intent, you know, figuring out how these accounts are interacting with any activity that that is is getting driven, whether it's it's push or pull. Um, that's richness that can go to the rest of the organization in, in much the same way you described with that kind of co- content creation and market facing teams. Actually, everybody should be aware that account B is interacting in this particular way across your, your, your digital properties and assets. And what does that mean in terms of next best action? 100% right. And also, of course, you know, often that interaction, the next stage of that interaction will very frequently be a sales interaction. And uh, or relationship management interaction, and therefore you've got to be joined up with your sales group. You've got to be feeding them the right data in a, in a form they can digest and act upon. I think that's the other challenge that often we have is, and certainly I've experienced that in other firms that we maybe sort of 20 years ago we'd do a teleconference with a fund manager talking to 50 or 100 clients about something. And um, off the back of that, we'd know who those clients were and they might send the old question and we'd pass maybe 20 data points across to a sales team and they deal with that across the broker desk. Of course, today we're generating millions of data points. So how you actually take that information and how you think about that information, how you grade and then how you, you know, synthesize that information then pass across to sales in a usable side is is. I think actually that, that the real IP, if you're, if you're a great marketing team, you'll have some real insight in terms of the different mix of data points and the ones that really matter and the ones that you can possibly spend less time on. Yeah, I mean, it does come down to there's there's so much data there. How do you get your arms around what, what's really meaningful um, and how do you decipher it, as you say, so that action can be taken as well across across the rest of the organisation? It, it sounds, James, you've got a fantastic perspective on, you know, creating these strategic client experiences. You know, data is very much the heartbeat of, of how you're thinking about uh, the, the future of marketing and the evolution. Talk, talk me through, you know, any pitfalls or any challenges that you, you've experienced um, over the past few years is when it when it comes to building client experiences yeah so it's, it's a really good question I, I, I'd say the one thing I feel that we could all be better at and um, and and it's a kind of we, we were all so busy and we're all trying to get stuff out the door and I, and I think sometimes we just don't think about the, the testing strategies that we should put in place around things sometimes you know in small markets you just don't have the volume of activity or the volume of observations to to actually derive really good testing programs but I, I do think um, we can sometimes run something stare at the aftermath not really learn something from it and then just move on to the next thing and the next thing yeah, I think we're all guilty of that. So. Yeah, and you know, and what did that mean, and and what have I learned there? And I, you know, we I've got I kind of think of an example from from my past life where we we, we launched a, uh, a sort of behavioural test that led into a potential uh, conversation around a certain type of type of income or in products, and we did it, and I think it, you know the organisation gave us a lot of latitude, and therefore 
when it when it wasn't hugely successful, um, nobody really commented because there was some other stuff that was going quite well at the time. But we did actually for the you know first time actually let's go back to this. It felt like we put a lot of work into it. Let's have another go at it. And I think it was probably the third year of running this thing where we kind of caught on to what was interesting about it and what wasn't and and actually it became incredibly successful and i think and 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 that was what, what was interesting about this topic was actually behavioral i mean the, the idea of giving people insight into their own behaviors and how they might adjust or manage their behaviors or their or their their decisions in the light of their probable behavior biases was the thing that really cut across everything and, and the product piece didn't really actually add a huge amount at all if, if anything it probably detracted so i think it, it is having that that discipline to go okay possibly not our finest hour but let's do that uh, let's go back after that and, and see if we can find out something out of that that we learned and that investment was worthwhile you know your organization's got to have patience with you which this organization had 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 loads of i guess the other thing it's taught me is um i am a big fan of pre-mortem as a strategy you know the, looking at something and going you know what 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 why are we going to fail here what what have we done here that shows our own biases our own prejudices or our own narrow thinking or where haven't really you know at, at some stage we sort of go and learn but let's let's really challenge ourselves before and because quite often it strikes me and this is a discipline from from digital and it isn't it a lot of projects fail a lot of projects fail a lot of marketing projects you know don't get killed off early enough and we go through with it and oh, great we might learn something but sometimes these projects are pretty expensive so it's, it's balancing that achieve learn fail learn re-achieve versus actually what did i learn last time and actually are we being straight with ourselves and over optimistic in terms of going into this in the first place yeah i think that kind of reverse brainstorming is a, is a muscle that isn't flexed enough so uh, yeah exciting to hear that you're doing it be good to talk a little bit about your um, perspective james on um uh, you know marketing uh, the the skill set of marketing and you know marketing leadership um as as we we think about growth you know looking at, at capital groups business looking at some of the, the previous roles that you've been in how critical is it for for marketing to play play a role when it comes to revenue growth when it comes to you know growing the o- overall book of business yeah it's 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 it's, it's super important i mean I, mean I think we touched it on earlier on when we talked about the sort of channel mix but there's probably more to it than that and when we talked about digital and data and, and there's more to it so i think you know when i i, I was a very fortunate in my first marketing job to work for a couple of people who a had come out of you know it, there was an awful lot of marketing talent in in european asset managers at that time and i worked with a great bunch of people who've all gone on to do really good things um but, but they also moved us around a lot and so i probably spent a year doing institutional i did a year as the covering the ad manager she was on that leave i did a year um doing sort of hedge fund wholesale stuff into japan or something i mean all sorts of different things and therefore i kind of got walked around the house quite a lot and i i I developed quite a lot of different ideas about things and and that was great because as i said it was kind of often about simplifying technical content for for broader audiences and and i got seven years of that and and it carried me in great stead i think the challenge today is that the execution of the skill sets within marketing needs to be at the highest possible level so it's not really plausible to take an individual as I was in my sort of late 20s and go, this year you're running digital marketing, next year you're running institutional content. The year after that, we're going to have you helping with our helping with our project managing, our, the deployment of our of, of Pardot and the integration piece with Salesforce and, and, and Adobe. I mean, you're just not going to get those leaps because they need to be executed at this severe level. So it's a, it's a real challenge, actually, 
for marketing at the moment. I was involved in an event a couple of years ago entitled Where Has All the Talent Gone? I don't, and it was basically people saying, well, I can't see in my team anyone who's the next me, the next, the next general marketer manager because everyone's a specialist and they just don't know enough about the other disciplines across across the team so i think it's a real challenge we are trying our very best to find ways around that challenge we're sort of trying to break the the tasks within within the group down to sort of content production uh, deploy um, execution of that content distribution of that content then aggressive sort of uh, interrogation of the effectiveness of that that campaign and the i think the other thing is you need to catch people really early and make sure you give them the chance to spend time in different areas and the other big thing is you need to make do it early enough to give them a chance to travel and work in different offices and, and understand different cultures and, and how distribution and marketing works in different parts of the world but i think it is the single largest challenge if i were to say and i think you're beginning to see it actually when i first came into the industry marketers came from a, a, a general marketing background and they had they could do they're good at design uh, good at writing they were good with people good at medium to small size projects they were good at managing the sales people you said relationship skills and and it was a very all-round kind of skill set i think what you see today is you need technical skills in in two or three disciplines data being one content being the other digital being the other um and you probably don't need the quite the, the broader set that you probably needed previously. I suspect that the future CMOs will be end up coming out of the digital and the content areas. Is, is my is my honest thought that you'll see more people who've come from a journalistic background rising up into uh, senior levels within, or from a comms background, and you'll see more people rising up from a digital marketing background in the next five to ten years because contemporary marketing is digital. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you reflect back on the last couple of years, you know, there, there was a CMO that I was talking to early part of last year who said, I've got 22 marketers globally and 18 of them are event specialists. You know, how can I quickly upskill them or, you know, where, where's the generalism here to, to direct into different areas? So, yeah, that skill set is definitely evolving. I think, and as you say, specialisms, where we're seeing more and more of that emerge. Yeah, I think I guess you've got to be long term in how you plan, haven't you? And and your view with that that the talent within your your organisation is that whilst you know having you know Jess running you know, UK uh, institutional content as a, working for so and so is really good, she could also be leading that area, and therefore we want to make sure she's seen some other things before before she does, and therefore you need to know that you know you've got a long term plan around your staff, and that does take a, a certain sort of cultural mindset within the organisation. Um, yeah. What, what's your view, James, in, in, as to how marketing leaders and CMOs should be thinking about building out a, a best in class marketing team, given that um, you know, it's often marketing is, is just in time or you know, there's always that fight for headcount and all the rest of it. Um, uh, wh- where do you get started and how can you be effective at it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, because I guess it's, it's the question that every single sort of CMO is, 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 is wrestling with what's the right approach within within our structure industry and, and organization um you know i, I guess for me it's, it's it's that you know we could all do good stuff everyone can do good stuff right everyone, there's lots of talented people in in all of our organizations and they could all do good stuff but it's got to be wrapped around a plan and that plan has got to be wrapped around the actual business strategy rather than a, a marketing for its own sake strategy i've never been a particular fan of winning awards for their own sakes but but i've, I've you know, and, and I, I guess it, it came back from a very early conversation I had when I at a previous employer where some I was being pestered by the head of sales to create better quality desk gifts, 
And and I just remember thinking, I, I, I lucked upon this survey, which showed, you know, where gifts and entertainment ranked as an influencer for this for these discretionary asset managers. And the number was, it was like number 14. And I took this back and said, look, no, the, the four things I care about are at the top of the page here. That's where we need to be. Uh, and I hear you. It would be nice to do some of this other stuff. But we're not any good at this stuff at the top either. So can we just focus on getting that right? Because that's the big lever. And then you know, we'll do some stuff later when we're in a, in a better place. And I think that focus on what is actually going to make the difference rather than being busy for busy's sake. Turning off, you know, a big believer in the equation that, you know, um, that, you know if, if marketing is effectively the, the application of the resources of the firm to the best opportunity, well, that equation says we move money towards good things. It means we take money away from things that no longer do it for us, right? And unless you've got those two halves of the equation, uh, then it stops working and, and right quick. And I think that, that for, for me, having a plan and having people who view this stuff within the team objectively, they don't fall in love with their, their product, or they don't fall in love with their output, but actually can look at it objectively as a culture challenge ourselves and there's the old saying that the grumpiest orchestras make the best music you know we, we can't <laughs> we kind of need we kind of need to be this is great stuff and this is a great happy place and a great team and we are doing wonderful stuff and we're doing it in a way that actually is having impact but also it's all be wrapped around a plan and a culture in the team of desire to do well and to change and to, to keep moving forward I, i've not really seen successful teams that are stuck in their ways it, it, it's just not a thing And I know one of the things, James, you've, you've been doing in, the, in your team is, you know, bringing people in early um, and, and giving them that breathing space of, you know, actually you're not going to be effective on day one in much the same way you've talked about exposure to other functions and, and going through around the organisation and not staying in a particular silo. Yeah, that's 100% right. I mean, you know, increasingly we, we want different types and more sort of content specialists to help us articulate this, you know, the, the propositions and our thoughts and ideas around around what's going on in, in financial markets. But if you were to come out of a the FT, for instance, and land into Capital Group or any other asset manager you know, in, in LA or New York or London, it's going to be a culture shock. And, and you've just got to sort of give people the time to get their head around it. And also to say, look, you know, what I don't want you to do is change what you do and remove your own skills. So what I'm asking you to do here is do the things you're great at, play the game the way you play the game, if you want a sporting analogy. But I'm going to give you time to get it right. And, and work it out. I think that, I think that's that's super important. I also think when you put people into into more senior positions, it takes a while to get there. And you know, if you have a senior manager who you've promoted in your team and they and they fail within a year or something, I think it's as much on you as it is on them because you've got to give them that support mechanism. Not just your time, but the other levers you can pull, the other the other training and support you can pull, the mentoring things you can do to make sure they've got half half decent shot at making success of that role. Fascinating. I think a, a challenge we'll all be grappling with over the the quarters and years years to follow it's it really is all about talent isn't it just reverting back james to um client experience you know wh- where will innovation come from you've talked about some of the the challenges um, when it comes to building out teams you talked about some of the great things that that you're doing around um, data and experiences but but what next I think five or six years ago, and this is probably, you know, lots of people listening to this, well, that was a bit late, but five or six years ago in, in asset management, I think it was 
we were looking at the world and going, right, ads aren't kind of landing with quite the same impacts as they once did. The move to sort of digital advertising has created some sort of some media spaces that are horrifically rammed full of all sorts of messages, confusion and stuff. And, and there's a finite amount you can do around that. And, and is that working? And then we started drifting towards, okay, we've got to start being bespoke and precise about this stuff and then that leads you towards well we've got to get our head around our data situation we've got to get our head around what our website platform looks like and also what it does you know it always used to be this sort of repository for everything you ever thought of and you dump it in your website and and now it's got to work harder for you right it's got to be a client service tool a client engagement tool when people land on it they kind of see stuff that they care about not just the things that you care about because that's what you've been told to campaign so so there's a whole load of thinking around that which i think flipped the industry you know a lot of firms executed that pivot out of old world sales messaging into the content and digital and and data mindset and and really thinking about that buyer journey as well i guess with um you know that self-serve and making it accessible it's 100 percent, and you know how you stitch and integrate that together so here we are sort of five six seven years down the line and there are things that you know i think we've i felt my previous employer we were pretty cutting edge for a, a european headquartered firm on that sort of stuff and i come back to look at some of that stuff now and everyone's got it right everyone's doing some really good stuff and some of the the, the, the broadcast content for instance the, the web experiences um, some of the messaging frameworks you see it's really strong it's really really strong and i think it, it accelerated by by COVID, right? I mean, there's nothing smart in having a, a poor digital platform when the only way of speaking to clients at the moment is, is through, you know, through WebEx or Zoom. So that trend has happened. And I think it's still a lot further to run, right? But I think it's, it's going to approach maturity in the next five years. And, and this is this is where it comes back to okay, the, the next thing is, I think, the next logical step is ABM. It, it's how, how do you take the skills you've learned for small market segments and narrow market segments and apply those to individual firms? And then secondly, how do you make that a partner with the face-to-face relationship piece or the hybrid relationship piece? And how do you get your head around those things? And where do you apply that that resource? Because it is hard, right? It is really hard to get a marketing strategy for an individual firm. I guess the other thing is that, you know, within that firm, you've got to realize that you are dealing with many different individuals who will have their individual data strategy potentially. So for instance, you know, there is no point in us forever haranguing our key contact in a significant wholesale business when that individual comes back to you and says well i don't cover hedge funds i never have i keep telling you this or i don't uh, fixed income you need to talk to the guys in sing or yeah so i think you're, we're getting to that level of data and analytics and and marketing can't operate at that level without operating hand in glove with sales and also without the integration between sales relationship management technology and marketing technology being absolutely spot on so tough tough equation to solve yeah, I think you, you, what, what you're talk, describing there to me sounds like you're going from, you know, broad brush segmentation of you sit in institutions or, or mid-market or you're this type of persona to actually micro segmentation within the accounts. So looking at different audience groups and, and how, how what their preferences are and, and how most effectively you can communicate and engage with them. Got to be, got to be. And the firms that nail that and, and, and at a certain level, you've got to be a certain scale, I think, to carry off some of these things because you've got to have the, the technology people within your business, you've got to have the ability to buy, you know, the better platforms um so i think there is a possible dividing line starting to open up but if you can nail that i think that that would be super super effective for growing growing your business
all, all comes back to data, James. So you're, you're in a good place. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, re, re, really enjoyed the conversation and appreciate you being so generous um, with, with your advice and, and, and thoughts and experience. I'd, I'd love to actually finish on, on a closing piece of advice if we can. You know, what, what's the one thing that you would recommend marketing leaders do to successfully bring cross-functional teams together around, around their, their strategic clients? It's just very, very important to really, really understand all of the drivers behind all of those people and where they're coming from and, and their sort of mindsets. I mean, I've recently been part of a, um, at a global management level with doing a, a personality analysis piece. And what you suddenly realise is just how different we all are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and things that seem obvious to me are, and we should go and do aren't obvious to other people and how I act under stress and pressure and the, the defaults I have are not the defaults of other people around the same. And I think that's true when you're trying to you know, bring together an organisation and the leaders of units within that organisation in terms of solving common problems because they may see things very differently. I often think marketers are brilliant at talking to clients but not talking to their own peers within the firm. They're great at communicating the benefits of something externally but then we sort of clam up a little bit in terms of how we communicate the benefits of what we do internally. So I, I think the big the big trick is to put yourself in other people's shoes, isn't it? Understand their drivers and their considerations and then try and find a way forward that allows them to feel part of the journey you want to take them on and that, that, that their role is really important too. I don't think the old school sort of where you criticise, you know, I don't know, the person who's running your reporting and fact sheet area for not being creative enough, you know, it's just not going to work, is it, anymore? You know, you've got to realise that everything has been done to an excellent level and the people who do that have extreme experience and they will have different characters and personalities and drivers and you've just got to get your head around those. And that means, you know, collaboration. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to back to collaboration and getting everyone on the same page. Absolutely love it. Thanks so much for joining us, James. Really appreciate you coming on for, for this episode. You're welcome. And thank you so much for the invite. Great to have you with us. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. You can learn more at wearemomentum.com.